0: You are listening to the Practice Purchase Podcast, Season 6, all about transition issues. How to successfully transition into practice ownership. By far, the number two complaint or the number two topic to worry about after money is people. HR, staff, employees, keeping them, getting rid of them. And in part two of my discussion, I'm talking with Kara Kelly, Clinical HR, an expert at the people side of the dental business. She is going to talk in this episode about the types of things you need to think about after you own the practice and you're just dealing with the day-to-day issues of managing a team. You cannot be a successful dentist without at least some staff members in the office. It's, uh, I am unaware of any dentist. I'm sure there's somebody out there, but I'm aware, unaware of any dentists out there who run an entire dental office solo. So that means you're going to have employees. Whether they're family or not, it's very likely you're going to have staff, And that anytime, uh, my favorite definition of conflict, by the way, conflict uh, is defined as two people that live in the same county. (laughs) So you throw in uh, more than two people in a dental office, there's gonna be some conflict. There are gonna be some things you worry about. You're gonna wish that your staff treated the office just like you do, like an owner. You would be wrong to think that way because your staff are not owners. Of course, they're not going to have the same mentality about that practice that you do. Uh, But that doesn't mean that you can't expect A-level work from the staff that you have around you. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the people you work with. And uh, just worrying about some of the basics uh, that Kara is going to talk about in this episode is how you're going to build that foundation to work with a staff that you enjoy, a staff that that helps you achieve your goals and that, by the way, you help them achieve their goals. Uh, And so with that, Kara Kelly, clinical HR, an expert around uh, transitions and um, helping dentists understand the people side of the business. Enjoy the episode. All right, Kara, I want to shift gears here with this uh, second part of this discussion around just uh, maybe the ongoing HR issues um, that a practice owner is going to find themselves dealing with. And uh, without fail the number one complaint of dentists is people and anything people. around people right and by the way dentists aren't unique you go out to any industry and it's any boss anywhere or any owner of any company is going to be whining about their staff um and and so talk to me a little bit about um why i you know there's compliance like you're talking about having an hr menu, having somebody look at it having you know but, th- but there i feel like there's more to um more to like saving a dentist sanity right as the new <laughs> boss of this than just you know checking some boxes and making sure that I I fire people at the right time or they like talk to me about the value of bringing a consultant in around HR issues what what types of things would a consultant really you know how would they how would you lower the stress of a dental practice owner
1: so i am a sounding board okay. more often than not it seems like Sometimes they're coming to me not for a compliance issue, not for a, hey, I want to fire this person, how do I do that, but more of a... This is going on and I just don't know what to do. And a lot of times when you're dealing with employee relations, there I put it in three different buckets. There's the things you have to do, the things you cannot do, and the things you can do but probably shouldn't. And so many of those conversations fall into that of the can do but probably shouldn't, whether it's things like pulling a job offer um, because something came up on a background check and they want to do it right now. Um, I have a a practice right now I'm working with that the uh, employee had sent a list of like 28 different reasons why she did not like the office manager who is the spouse of the dentist. Oh good. <laughs> uh, and they, you know, are their automatic responses they want to terminate. And I said, "Well, hang on a second. I need to see what those reasons are because sometimes if they're valid complaints, you don't want to terminate. It's yeah. it could be a retaliation thing. Mm-hmm. We might want to have a conversation first, <laughs> a little bit of an internal investigation." Um, I've had practices that'll come to me with things like my office manager, no showed this morning. Should I send her an email telling her that she's fired? Right. Well, hang on a second. Right. I'm, I'm the pause. That's what I am generally. Most of the times so I'm yeah. the pause. Sure. Hang on a second. Things could legitimately happen that means that, you know, make her unable to call in. There could be a medical emergency. She could have gotten into a wreck on the way to work. Let's hang on a second and see. That's why we have this three days, you know, rule of thumb for job abandonment. Um, See what happens. And it did turn out that that afternoon, the sister of the employee calls and she had had a medical emergency, was transported via ambulance to the hospital, you know, and, and, I'm talking to my client about this and they're like, well, they still could have called, you know, the EMTs are not super worried about whether or not you have your phone on you when they're taking you to the hospital. They don't really care whether they're getting a five-star review on Yelp for their, for their Uber to the hospital services here. Um, So, you know, sometimes she couldn't have, and and what would have happened had you fired off that email this morning, you would have had an employee who returned home from a medical emergency to an email saying she'd been fired for that medical emergency. That's not what you want. That's not the culture you want to build. And so sometimes I'm taking it from that lens. Um, I have a, an acronym for for employment management leadership decisions called CLIMB, the CLIMB model. Uh, and the very first one on that is C, it's culture. We look at it through the culture lens first. And so sometimes that means taking that beat, taking that pause and assessing what else could be happening.
0: Yeah. No. Okay. I love that. So uh, one piece of, <laughs> it reminds me of the value I bring to my clients, right? Is just having a second set of eyes and someone to yeah. kind of validate a decision or to help someone understand that what they're doing is is a good idea or not so good um you're doing the same thing with there's more kind of some of the day-to-day people issues okay i love it um are you is a good hr consultant also teach i I actually don't know the answer to this and i hope i'm not setting you up or or i hope i'm setting up to look really good but Are you teaching things like how to give feedback? And should I be doing one-on-ones? And you know, I'd like to delegate this task. How do I actually accomplish doing that? Like the the step-by-step instructions. Can I come to you and have you teach me how to do these things that nobody, by the way, teaches anywhere, including business school?
1: One of the things I tell my clients is that I don't want you to have to need me. I love being there for you and I will absolutely be there when there are problems. I will answer calls on Saturdays if they're urgent, truly urgent, my version of urgent, not yours. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I have, especially, you know, during the pandemic, I was on on the phone with clients at midnight, um, clients who were in tears about having to let their team go. So, you know, I am a hundred percent there for you, but I want you to not feel like you have to call me every week. I want you to learn. If you're going to own a practice, you're probably going to be doing this for a minimum of five years, if not 10, 20, 30, and sometimes even 40 years. You have to learn this stuff. You shouldn't be feeling like you have to call me every single week over the same issue if we've been working together for a year or two. Um, you know, if you do, that's fine. I'm still here, <laughs> but I love teaching clients on things like how to give feedback, how to feel confident making those leadership decisions, um, how to how to do a write-up, you know, if, if you need some help tweaking language, I'm absolutely happy to go over that with you. But, you know, you should know the steps in your disciplinary process uh, after we, we've worked together for a little while. <laughs> so I, I love teaching that. I love sharing that information and, and growing stronger leaders. That's really what, what I'm all about.
0: I love it. Okay. In addition to some of those teaching skills, what, what is a good HR consultant doing throughout a year? What is like an annual kind of drip ca- calendar look like? Are, are there things that happen to have to happen every year? Are we updating something or documents being reviewed? Like, what does that look like on a regular basis, just for a prototypical office with no major issues? <sighs>
1: Um, employee handbooks are ones that I like to look at at least annually. I know some companies are, are starting ma- nationwide. Companies are starting to move toward looking at the stuff monthly because things change so oh, wow. quickly. Yeah. I don't think we need to look at them monthly in industry for the most part. Especially, I'm in Texas, and so we don't have legislative session more than once every two years. <laughs> um, so even annually is sometimes a stretch personally. Um, But I do think that taking a review annually would be helpful. Um, Looking at your state laws annually, your Department of Labor site, there are laws that do move at the state level. You know, at the federal level, it literally takes an act of Congress to get anything through. Um, But at the state level, you know, there are things that are being implemented, Um, you know, drug legalization of marijuana that gets implemented in states that you might want to update your drug policy. There are sick leave mandates, or, or some of them are actually now going to be just leave mandates. I believe it's Illinois that's doing that starting in 2024. And so you want want to make sure that you're taking a look at your leave laws at the state level and sometimes even at the city level. There are some cities out there that have different rules than the state. Um, I'm in Austin. Austin's one of them. We have banned the box. So if you have a a practice in Austin, Texas, you're not allowed to do a background check until after you've extended an offer. Uh, But Texas doesn't have that rule. You've got other cities like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and, and whatnot in Pennsylvania, and then um, you know some of the California cities have, and New York City, some of the larger East Coast cities have specific rules that are only for city proper. So you have to pay attention to all of those levels of law, and you should be doing that at least once a year. What? Because they I, do change. Now
0: I have to ask, what is the thought process behind? I need to make an offer first. Now I can go do a background check. What? What's the thought process? There must They're
1: be- trying. Well, there is, they're trying to avoid discrimination. You know, whenever you're doing background checks, you shouldn't be looking at every single incident that pops up. You want to make sure that it's timely and you want to make sure that it's relevant. So the example I tend to use for that is if you're hiring somebody to you know, take payments at the front desk uh, and they have a, a DUI from five years ago, well, they're not driving. So that's not really relevant. And five years ago is not particularly timely. So that differs from if they have a theft charge from last year um, and, and a conviction, not necessarily an arrest, a conviction from last year. So you want to make sure they're timely and relevant. Um, but by doing that, you want to avoid discrimination from from the perspective of if you're going to pull that offer based on what comes up on the background check, you want to make sure that it's for something that's timely and relevant. And whenever you do that prior to making the offer, the candidate doesn't necessarily have um, as much of a a reason that they can show that there was discrimination. They can't necessarily prove that it was because of the background check. Whereas if you have the offer first mm-hmm. and then they do the background check and then the offer gets rescinded, you can say it was likely because of that background.
0: check. I got it. Okay. This is a way to give candidates a little more power than they've had in the past. A little bit. Yes. Okay. 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 I can see that. Um, whether or not I agree or disagree isn't real is, is uh, relevant because what you're saying is a good HR consultant will help me understand the rules in my area, state, mm-hmm. city, um, the country, etc. And, yes. Okay, got it. I'm not um,
1: advocating for any of these rules. No, the no, other, They're but really I, I need to know what that, they are. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, I, I have opinions, of course. It's more of a, this That's is true. how we comply with whatever's in place in your area.
0: All right, Kara, the big question, what is the right way to fire an employee who just isn't performing well? Right, right. We're taking fraud. We're taking embezzlement. We're taking yeah. um, what, you know, major uh, issues off the table. They're just, they're, they're a B minus player. They're not, they're not a C plus or whatever. That just, eh. I, I just want to elevate the culture in of my office. Um, you know, Brian over there in the corner, he's kind of, you know, he's lazy and I want to get rid of him. How do I do it?
1: Um, I, I'm always a fan of having a reason for termination. I know that there's some advice out there that says, well, you just be very, very vague and just let them go. (laughs) That can open you up to discrimination that can win them the unemployment case. Um, if you're okay with that, because unemployment shouldn't be the only thing that drives terminating somebody. It shouldn't be the only, only thing that drives um, any kind of a, a separation whatsoever. Uh, but it is something to consider because there is a cost associated with it. And, and I, Like you said, I make a business case for things. <laughs> I like yeah. to look at the cost. Um, so I always try to look at it through that lens. But you know, if not the discrimination side of things, especially if you have over 15 employees, you still want to be careful about. And not giving a good solid reason is one of the worst things you can do from that perspective. If they're not working out, if it's not, they're not a good fit. They're not meeting their goals. You can, you know, maybe show that and say, "Look, this position requires you to hit X, Y, Z goals. The other people we have had in this position or currently have in this position are able to do this. You are not. I unfortunately can't continue to employ you um, because of this. You know, we've worked. We tried coaching you. We've talked on this date, this date, and this date about this thing, and things are not improving. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you go."
0: Okay. Nice. So in there, I heard multiple conversations. I heard mm-hmm. some metrics, and mm-hmm. I heard that it's not a surprise. And I also heard uh, being very direct in the terms of uh, the reasons. That's but Kara, uh, that's that's, that's hard, hard to do. I mean, you you want me to yeah. look someone in the eyes, and you want me to actually, you know, have this really tough conversation. You're so mean. Why are you so mean, Kara? I mean, that that's and I'm I'm I tongue know, in cheek, obviously. There are
1: no but... friends in HR.
0: <laughs> right. I mean it, that that's. Um... Well, okay, so can I answer my own question? So and this is a little bit of a soapbox, uh, but I'm I'm not planning to get off this soapbox anytime soon as someone by the way who's has been fired. And I would probably count that on one of my top 2 worst days of my entire life. Um, anytime you as a boss are messing with someone's addiction to food, clothing and shelter and and uh, you need to take that seriously. And by seriously I mean that you need to be able to look in the mirror and um know that that person knows that it's coming okay the human brain the the human brain is so good at ignoring information we don't want to see right um and i can look back now when i got fired and think oh my gosh like i should have seen that coming but i didn't right because i was good at fooling myself And, and i could point to all these other things i thought i was doing amazing at which i would argue i was but um you know the person who fired me didn't say the some version of the following. Hey, Brian, if X, Y, and Z doesn't change, you are in danger of being fired. Now, yes. that's a very yes. uncomfortable thing to tell somebody, right? But um, I, I feel like as a boss who has control over a, an individual or maybe a family's addiction to food, clothing, and shelter, that is a blunt conversation you uh, ethically owe other people. And I know people disagree with me, but I'll no, stand agree. on that soapbox all day long.
1: No, I agree. Um, it should not be a surprise. It should never be a surprise. Um, you should always do it in person if you possibly yes. can over the phone or over Zoom meeting. Past that, dentistry,
0: there is no excuse for it not being in person ever.
1: No, you. This is not an email thing. This is not a text message thing. This is right. not a send them a letter with their final check kind of thing. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the reason is. It should be an in person conversation if you possibly can make it that way. Yep. Um, it shouldn't be a surprise. And and I agree. I feel like you. And here's another way of thinking it. Let's reframe this. Not only do you owe it to them ethically to know that they're in danger of losing their livelihood, but you're giving them a chance to improve. You have to give them that chance exactly. to do better. And if, if it comes to the point where you have to separate them, you're giving them a chance to find a, a position at a company that is a better fit for them. Right. You're right. giving them a chance to be successful somewhere else. And I know they may not see it that way in the moment, but if you've done what you should do and you've had those coaching conversations, not disciplinary conversations necessarily, but coaching conversations that have been documented, and you've given them opportunities to succeed and to change and to do better, you've given them the tools they need to do the job, which that may be more training, it may be more time, it may be a mentor that they need to work with, um, but you've given them something to to improve with. And if they haven't done it at that point, then you're giving them the opportunity to go be successful somewhere else.
0: All right, Kara, I'm i I'm a practice owner. Um, I'm listening to some of these issues thinking, Oh, you know, like I'm not as buttoned up as I should be on some of these issues. And yeah, some of my people are annoying sometimes, um clinical hr I, well i hope folks recognize the fact that I'm, I'm pretty discriminating in who i invite on the podcast so i hope that that's an endorsement in and of itself but there are other hr companies out there a lot of which are focused on dentistry um if you can be as unbiased as possible how would you recommend a dentist select an hr company that um would be a good fit for them in other words are there different flavors like like you talked about attorneys Right. Like, well this attorney works on real estate that attorney works on contracts etc like they work. This other attorney works on family law. I've got to imagine that it's not uh, a diamond. Like every HR company is exactly the same. So, first of all, how do I tell what you know who, who would be a good fit, and then what would be some of my criteria to pick a good HR consulting company?
1: First and foremost, like every advisor that you work with, they really should be dental specific or okay, have a great. very good working knowledge of dentistry, um, and and you can see those uh, why that matters when you're looking at issues like, for example, um, pumping breaks for for nursing mothers. If you have a hygienist who needs to pump, you can't just give them 20 minutes to do that. It throws off the whole schedule. I know this because I work with dentists, 100% with dentists or people who are in dentistry. Um, but a, a typical HR company may not understand that. And so for one, you want to find one that's dental specific. And there's several really great ones out there. They do fantastic work. Um, you want them to be very compliance focused you, because that's what you're hiring them for, right? to protect you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, I know people make mistakes and there's a lot of information out there, but in, as a general rule of thumb, you want them to be very compliance focused so that you are protecting yourself. Um, past that, you want somebody who's a good fit for what you're looking for. If you're looking for a company who, who has a portal that's going to update things all of the time, um, who has you know 40 different attorneys and a customer service hotline, who's always going to be able to answer the phone, great, those companies are out there. If you're looking for somebody that is going to be an advisor, you can build a personal relationship with, um, you know, where like you have their cell phone. My clients all have my cell phone, for example. Uh, You can shoot text messages, they'll answer you on Facebook Messenger and meet you where you're at communications-wise. They're they're still going to have your best interest, um, but they may not be, you know, 24-7 available because they're an individual, then that might be the relationship that you want. It just kind of depends on what you need, the size of practice that you are, how much help you feel like you need. Um, and, and really just that relationship as in with everything else, with your patients, with your team. It's about that relationship. Should I think you should look at different companies and, and find one that you can build that relationship with because you're going to be doing this for a couple of decades, hopefully. I love it.
0: Yeah. Should, should I expect my HR consultant to physically visit my practice?
1: I have rarely visited practices. Um, I don't know too many that would unless they're only working local. I have, I actually personally have a group um, called HR Consultants Mastermind that I started that has almost 1,800 members in it. Wow. Uh, and many of them do go and visit clients on site depending on what they're doing. I'm not a third-party outsourced service provider, so I don't run payrolls. I don't go do onboarding and things like that. Um, so I'm not mostly visiting clients' practices. The ones that I have, it's been to do something like introduce a handbook to the team um, or to possibly do a training, a, conflict, a productive conflict training or something along those lines. Um, so most of them probably won't if you're going with the, the national companies. Um, and, and I include myself in that. I have clients in like 16 states right now. So it's unlikely, but you can find some that are local consultants that will actually come to your practice. Got
0: it. Is, am I going to pay more for the, uh, you know, 40 attorneys, 800 number kind of, you know, someone updating documents on a monthly basis or someone like you, that's maybe more personal. I've got your cell phone number. Like, it's not obvious to me, which one would be more expensive. I I'm guessing maybe you, but maybe not.
1: Well, it, it kind of depends. Uh, The way I've structured my model personally is I have a renewable retainer agreement where I do a block of time for a set fee and we deduct from that unless it's something like a handbook, which is a a flat project fee. So me personally, I don't have a monthly fee because of where when I worked in finance world, (laughs) actually, we had a monthly or quarterly fee and you would get to that time of year where people felt like they're paying for something they're not getting, where it was maybe that third quarter of the year where we hadn't really started all the tax planning yet. Um, We're still wrapping up tax returns. And so some of our clients weren't getting those touches and they had to pay their fourth quarter payment. And they're like, what am I doing? I am paying for stuff I'm not getting and I want to leave. So I told myself I would really rather find a model that did not work on a month to month payment or a quarterly payment or even an annual payment personally, because I want my clients to feel like they're getting something uh, of value and that they're not paying for something that they're not using. Got um, got that's it. just me. So like
0: I'm, so, I'm filling up a of gas. Yes. Like I, I'm putting some money in and I'm going to use it. And if that runs out, like I'll re-up or, okay.
1: Yep. I send an invoice at the end of the four hours. And if you want to keep retaining me, you pay it. And if you don't, you don't.
0: Do, uh, what's a, what should a dental practice owner plan to pay on an annual basis for HL consulting? What's a good range?
1: Um, they're, depending on the company that you work with, there's usually a larger startup fee because of the handbook. Yeah. Um, some companies require you to use their handbook, and so they're going to charge, obviously, the handbook rate for that. So that one could be a couple thousand dollars of initial investment. Uh, and then as, as an ongoing basis, I've seen anywhere from 150 a month, so maybe 1,000 to 2,000 a year, depending yeah. on, on your service that you're getting, what level of service you're getting. Um, some can be a little bit less. Uh, I think it just really depends on the company and, and what you okay. need.
0: Well, for the amount of moaning and complaining, I was going to use a different word that dentists do about uh, people issues. Thousand two, two thousand, three thousand, maybe dollars a year. It sounds like Nixon. I think good dental CPA, by the way, that's doing your tax, your your personal, your business taxes, and your you know, mm-hmm. financial, you know, eight, you know, eight thousand a year on the low end. Probably more like twelve to fourteen thousand dollars a year for a good one. So okay. you know, you're t- you're talking a fraction of, mm-hmm. yeah, okay cool. Kara, uh, what other good questions am I forgetting to ask about HR consulting for uh, new back, new practice owners?
1: I think the, the biggest question is when do you need one? When mm-hmm. do you need to bring somebody good. on? Yep. Because so many times I will work with practices that have have bought the practice a month or two ago, or even three or four months ago, and now they're realizing that they have problems. The ones that I absolutely love are the ones that come to me and say, hey, I'm starting a practice in two months, or I'm buying a practice in two months, and I really want to make sure I have this employee handbook done. Like, yes, oh, you're my favorite people. Favorite people, hands down, you are not going to start with the same problems that everybody else does, where they realize at that point that, oh, man, I should have had an employee handbook in place. Um, so that everyone would be on the same page. And now I've got to terminate somebody, and uh, this is a big mess, and then we're going to start on this, and it's like six months into practice before they have a policy manual.
0: Yeah. I would imagine the thing that's going to stop most practice owners is money, right? Every new practice owner is, wow, the bank loan, and I've got these student loans, and Brian's charging me this. and so." But what you're telling me is the investment relative to the risk and the amount of help that you can provide, pretty minimal. I mean, all things considered. I mean, I'm probably going to pay a, an insurance credentialing specialist more than I'm going to pay you. Um, so, okay. Well, and
1: here's the thing turn for costs money. Sure. Your people leaving, having to hire somebody and train them, the loss of productivity while you're training them. And if they don't, Stay past that. You do it all over again. Turnover has an actual dollar amount to it. Yeah. And so if you're not working with somebody who's going to help you attract and retain top talent, who's going to help you, especially when you're buying a practice and that talent's already there and you're you know crossing your fingers and hoping that they stay and hoping they're a good team, if you don't have somebody helping you with that and they leave, guess what? You're doing all of that all over again. And that's going to cost you far more than what it costs to work with me.
0: Amen. That, and that's a perfect spot to end. Um, Kara Kelly, clinical HR, where can people get in touch? Well, well, actually, I know where people can get in touch with you. Because I read now, I want you to tell people about the ebook that I read that I just freaking loved. It was awesome. I posted about it on Instagram, the whole deal. Tell people about this, uh, this book that you've written.
1: Saw that. Thank you very much, by the way. Um, I have an ebook called Compete with Culture. It's Well, this year's, it's the 23 things dental practices should stop doing and six they should start. It was originally supposed to be an article a year ago. And I got to about the 3,000 word mark and decided that that was the longest blog post in the history of ever. So I went back and rewrote it the way I wanted to write it in the first place. And it ended up being my 22 reasons for 2022. So I updated it for 2023. Um, there's the 23 things that I see most frequently in the past year that practices need to stop doing.
0: <laughs> uh, there's and then six kind, should of, start. kind of good advice in it. So tell people how much it costs.
1: It is totally free. 100%. <laughs>
0: I knew the answer to that, but yeah, thank you. All right. So Kara <laughs> Kelly, Clinical HR, advice. we will put your email address, uh, website and the link to uh, competing with culture in the show notes for this. Highly recommend people reach out. Kara's all over Facebook and a lot of the big uh, shit. She's hard to miss, um, but uh, she's just a, a gem of a resource and Kara can't thank you enough for being a guest.
1: No, I can't thank you for having me. This was fun. I love our conversations. <laughs>